Well, I'm encouraged uh, to see everybody uh, this evening. Uh, you know, on a Sunday evening, um, it's really a joy to see your faces. So I am going to be uh, looking at the book of Micah uh, today. Uh, but before I do, I just want to, uh, to pray for us uh, so that God can actually help us. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your, for your word. Uh, thank you for these brothers and sisters that uh, have uh, come uh, this evening uh, for us to, to sing together, for us to, to pray together, uh, for us to hear from you, God. Uh, what we're about to do now, we're about to hear from your word. Uh, not, not, not from me necessarily, but God, we're about to hear from your word. Um, so we pray uh, that you would help us, uh, help us to see, help us to see the truth. Uh, open our eyes and uh, let, let your Holy Spirit work in our, in our minds now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Does God uh, care about the mistreatment of people? Does God care about the exploitation uh, of our fellow men? Does God see? Does God see the ungodliness uh, of leaders? Does God see the abuse of power? Does God see the hypocrisy uh, of empty religious ritualism? Does God tolerate sin? What does God require of us? Is there hope for the sinner? Uh, these are all questions that uh, address, are addressed by the book of Micah. Uh, this uh, minor prophet uh, that we're going to be looking at today. Last week we looked at the book of Jonah. And uh, Jacob Evangelista did such a wonderful job. If you do not get a chance to, uh, to listen or to watch that, I would highly encourage you to do that. Uh, but today we're going to be looking at the book of Micah. And uh, what we know about Micah comes from the text. Uh, so I'm going to begin by reading for us from Micah chapter 1, uh, verse 1. These are the words of the Lord. Uh, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Uh, so the, the author of the book here is uh, the prophet Micah. And uh, we know that his prophetic activity, based on the kings here, it covers the length of time between the ascension of King Jotham sometime around 740 B.C., and the death of King Hezekiah, sometime around 686 B.C. And some commentators have put uh, the date of his writing really between, uh, sometime between 735 to 700 B.C. Uh, as an approximation. So that really gives us an idea of when his ministry was. Uh, we know that uh, the purpose of, of his book is really similar to uh, some of the other prophets that we study, like if you're looking at Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, or other uh, prophets, they are really similar in their purpose. And the purpose here is that God's people Israel in the north and in the southern kingdom have been breaking the covenant. They're God's people, and they've been breaking the covenant that they have with God, Yahweh. And so the book of Micah is really a complex mixture of messages that are uh, messages of judgment on the people of God for, for breaking the covenant. 
And also we see messages of hope and messages of mercy and messages of grace uh, that they will get from Micah through, through, through this word. So again, on the other hand, we see these prophecies, these, these oracles, what are known as oracles of judgment on the people for their social evils, uh, their social injustices, their corrupt leadership. Uh, they were prideful and there was a lot of idolatry where they were worshipping idols. And the prophet Micah is sent by God uh, because of this. And we see that this judgment ultimately uh, ended up culminating in the exile of the people of Israel. We know that eventually Israel ended up being exiled uh, by, uh, to Babylon. And uh, so that, this is what the, the book generally uh, is about. And so again, when we talk about the message being, you know, there's a lot of judgment here. You hear about, a lot about judgment on sin, but there's also a lot about the hope. And sometimes we can look at those two things almost as contradictory, like, you know, the judgment and hope, they contradict each other. But the reality of the matter is ultimately when you think about judgment and when you think about hope, this is exactly what points us to the cross. This is what points us to, this is why Jesus came, uh, because he bore our judgment, ultimate, our ultimate judgment uh, was, 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 was handled by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so this is what this book ultimately points us to. So Micah lived in a small town of Moorish Chef in the southern kingdom, like I said. And uh, we know that at this point in time, Israel has been divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And uh, they, were, they were all guilty, again, of uh, breaking this covenant uh, with, w with God. And uh, what we see here in the book is warnings. I think one of the reasons why we don't like reading the Old Testament is because of the, of the heaviness. You know, we, we hear so much about judgment. We hear so much. And uh, when you're preaching this, you almost feel like you're in the fire and brimstone category. But the reality of the matter is that this is the word of God. And we need to be, we need to hear about the judgment of God. So Micah, in Micah chapter 3 verse 8, it says, but, it says, but as for me, I am filled with power. With the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Again, that's Micah chapter 3 verse 8. So, so we, we must therefore listen. We must listen to Micah. Uh, because Micah says that he was filled with the power of God. Micah says he was filled with the spirit of the Lord. With justice and might. And these prophetic words are really, we know that these words are inspired by God. They are infallible. They are authoritative over our lives. So if you think about it, though, Micah has been given by God the very thing that the Lord is asking him to denounce as missing among the Israelites. So the Israelites certainly did not, they were not acting like they had the Spirit of God. Uh, they were not acting with justice. They were not acting with might. And here he says, but as for me, I'm filled with power and the spirit of the Lord and with justice and with might to declare to Jacob his transgression. So that's why we listen to Micah, because he's a true prophet of God. He's not a false prophet. So Micah has a message ultimately, again, that, that, that uh, points us to the hope of Jesus Christ. I cannot overemphasize that. And this, this really makes me praise God to know that even though God is, a, even though he's a God of judgment, 
He is also a God of mercy. And he is also a God of grace. And he is also a God of uh, restoration. So the book of Micah, when you think about it, it can be generally, this book can be divided into three sections. So the first section is from chapter 1 to chapter 2. And then the second section is from chapter 3 to chapter 5. And then the last section is from chapter 6 to chapter 7. And uh, these sections are divided by the word here, uh, like here. So let's, let's look in the text a little bit. So if you look in chapter 1, in verse 2, uh, it says, Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness and get against you, the Lord from his holy temple. So you, you see the word hear you. Uh, and then the other division, if you go to chapter 3, uh, he is talking to the rulers there. And he says, but I said, hear you, you heads of Jacob. So he's uh, talking now to the heads and the rulers. And he says, hear you heads of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. So that's the other demarcation. And then the other demarcation, when you go to chapter 6, uh, verse 1, uh, it says there, you hear the same word again, hear, hear what the Lord says, arise, plead your case before the mountains. So those are the divisions. Uh, again, we see these th uh, three divisions. So if you're looking uh, from the top, you, you can kind of see those divisions. So the first part, uh, when you look in Micah chapter 1, verse 4, uh, let's go there. Uh, Micah chapter 1 verse 4, it says, And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. So this language is very similar to the language that we hear in Exodus. For example, like in Exodus chapter 19 and 20, where we hear that there is fire, there is smoke, there is, there is an earthquake uh, in, in, the, in the book of Exodus. But th that first time, God was giving his, his law. Uh, th this was the time where God was making covenant with people. But this time, God is making judgment. Because they have rebelled against God, and they have been rebelling for about 500 years. So, so Micah goes on to name some of the cities. So some of the cities uh, and towns that are guilty of this. Uh, he names Samaria, Jerusalem, Shaphat, Zainan. Beth Ezel, Meroth, Gath, Maresha, Adulam. So, so he's naming all these cities just to show uh, that they were all guilty, you know, before him. So why, why, why is God judging them? Why, why is, is God accusing them? Well, because of theft and greed. Uh, Micah really is challenging the leaders. Uh, he says that they have become wealthy. They, they, these leaders have become wealthy from stealing and being greedy. And he really talks about the story of uh, Ahab. I don't know if you remember the story of Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 21, where he steals a family vineyard. And then uh, we also hear that he is judging them because of their corruption. So God does not tolerate corruption. And uh, the prophets, who were supposed to be God's people, were corrupt. And they, are, and they were quite happy, really, to offer the promises of God's protection to people as long as they could be paid. Which is interesting. You know, I went to Africa uh, in May, and I, I got a chance to see this in, in action, like how there are some people who claim to be pastors in Africa that will say to people, come to me, let me pray for you, 
and, uh, but you got to pay me. Like they'll go and exploit people that are vulnerable. And that is not okay. That is not tolerable to God. This is what we see in the Bible. And so the second section is chapter 3 to chapter 4. And we hear there the accusation of Micah now. Now Micah is talking to the leaders, uh, the people that are leaders and the prophets. He's talking to them. Uh, so if you go to chapter 3 in verse 1, this is what Micah says. He says, uh, And I said, Hear you, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for, is it, is it not for you to know justice? Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones. So, so, so they were doing the opposite. Like, like instead of loving what's good and hating what's evil, they were actually hating what's good and they were loving what was evil. And they are leading the people of, they are leading the people of God through bribery and through corruption. And they are, bending and they are abandoning justice in favor of, uh, of wealth. And the, the poor people are being deprived of their land. And the poor people are being deprived of their security. And what is serious about all this is what, this was a violation of the law of Torah. Uh, the law of God. They were really violating the laws that God had given them. Remember, these were supposed to be the people of God. And they were not doing that. So, again, when we see, we hear Micah telling them that judgment, because they are sinful, Micah says that judgment and disaster is going to come. That God's judgment is going to take the form of an oppressive nation. Uh, we know that ultimately the Assyrians are going to come and do that. Uh, these are very serious. Uh, these are very no-nonsense warnings of judgment uh, to these flippant Israelites. Uh, but thank God, though, that, it, that those are not the final words, right? That, that it does not stop there. So, so each of these warnings uh, in, section, in section in chapter 1 and 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4 is actually, praise God, uh, really there is this promise. When you, when you finish reading those sections, we see a promise of hope and God's restoration that is going to come in the future. So in chapter 2, we see a poem really of how God is, 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 is like a shepherd. He's like a shepherd who is going to rescue and is going to regather the flock. So look with me, if you will, in Micah chapter 2, verse 12. Um, it says there, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together. Then listen to this language. He says, like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. So, 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 so God will shepherd the remnant of his people. And he's going to bring them back to good pasture and he will become their king once more. And this is really encouraging that even though they're going to be judged, God still tells them that he is going to be their shepherd king. And that is, that is very encouraging. So if you look in Micah chapter 3 verse 12, uh, this is how that section ends. It says, Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a ruin, a, a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. So the warning then, uh, chapter, when, we talk, when, you, when you think about this warning, ultimately, really, and you get to chapter 4, verse 1, 
it kind of picks up on this imagery of imagine the temple of God being in ruins. And so you get to chapter 4 verse 1 and Micah uh, picks up on that imagery and says that this won't be permanent. This won't be permanent. One day God is going to rebuild his temple and he's going to fill it with his presence. And he's going to fill the city with the remnant of his people. And then he says that this will be the new Jerusalem. So God's purpose, if you think about it, one commentator was saying that God's purpose is to make Israel the meeting place of heaven and earth so that all nations will stream and come to Jerusalem where God will become the king of all the nations and ultimately he's going to bring peace on earth. So, so these two concluding sections are really, again, like I say, they do give us hope. I know most times when you read the Old Testament, uh, we, we, we just get turned off by the... Uh, by the, by the language of judgment, but in doing that, we can so easily miss the, the hope that's there as well. So chapter 4, verse 8 to 13, so we learn that after, after Assyria comes to attack them, uh, Israel is going to be conquered and exiled to Babylon, and from there, God is going to restore his people and bring them back. Uh, then we learn that there's going to be a new messianic king from the line of David. Uh, he is going to be born in Bethlehem. Does that sound familiar? Uh, I know the, the words of Micah. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Uh, we, we usually quote this, this book of Micah ar around Christmas time. And uh, we know that Micah chapter 5 verse 2 is actually a foreshadow and uh, prophecy of Jesus Christ uh, who is ultimately going to, to come. So we remember that the wise men, when they, when they come from the east, they were told that from the tiny village of Bethlehem would come forth the Prince of Peace, the light of the world. And so we realize that the message of Micah, the message of sin, uh, the message of repentance, uh, the message of restoration, ultimately when you think about it, it finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation for our sins. As Romans chapter 3 verse 24 says, who is also the only way to God. Ultimately, he is the only way to God. He's the only way trusting in him by his grace through faith in, in him. He's the only way. So we finally learn that in the messianic kingdom, there's going to be a faithful remnant of God's people. And uh, that these people are going to be a blessing among the nations. Uh, which is something that we see play out even in our day, right? So... The final section of this book, chapter 6 to chapter 7, uh, returns to the warning of judgment and hope. Again, we see the, we see the same. I, I told you we got three sections, right? And in those sections, we see judgment, hope, judgment, hope. So that, that's uh, one aspect of this book. So Micah exposes, again, the unjust economic practices. So we're in chapter 6 now, uh, and he's exposing the unjust economic practices of Israel's leaders and how... It is really destroying the community of, of God's people. So in chapter 6, we also see that God really requires true worship from his people. Uh, that God requires mercy. Uh, he requires justice and kindness. And he requires humility uh, from the Israelites. And really, if you think about it, he requires all that from us as well, right? So this is exactly what was missing. And so... Israel is going to come to ruin as a result of that. So the book 
then we get to chapter 7, verse 8 to 20. And the book ends on a, another encouraging, powerful note of hope. So, so we see here, you know, like when you're reading the Bible, there are some literal devices that most of the writers will use. And uh, when you look in the book of Micah, we hear a lot about, um, well, it, let, let, me just, let me back up and say this. Like, if you go to chapter, chapter 7, verse 8, uh, if you go there, let's, 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 let's read that pretty quickly. So chapter 7, verse 8, let me read that. It says that, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy, when I shall, I shall fall, I shall rise. When I sit in the darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. So, so who's saying that? Well, this is the language of personi personification. So, so Israel, God's people, is personified as an individual who is sitting in shame and defeat. And this is a clear image of Israel's destruction and exile. And this individual that, that represents Israel is watching, he's really watching for God's mercy. And he's really begging, begging God to listen and to forgive him. But why? Why is that? Why, why should God, this is the question to ask, why should God listen to and why should God forgive these faithless and rebellious people? Well, we can bring it home, right? We, we are the faithless people. We are the rebellious people. It's easy for us to read the book of uh, Micah and see this and, and think, how can they be like that and miss the fact that we are them? So the question again is, is why should God listen to, and why should God forgive these faithless and rebellious people? And the answer is that, two, two answers really. God listens and forgives us because, number one, because of his character. Because of his character. So, so if you look in chapter 7, verse 18, uh, this is the end of the book. It says, who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because, what? He delights in steadfast love. And then verse 19, he will again have compassion. Listen to that. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot and he will cast our sins. Listen to this. He will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. So God listens and forgives us because of his character. And then God listens and forgives us because of his promises. Verse 20 there continues to say, You will show faithfulness to Jacob and, and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the day of old. So really, if you think about it here, in these final words in the book of Micah, we see in chapter 7 verse 20, we're reminded of God's covenant promises, right? God had made a covenant with Abraham, remember, in Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis chapter 15, in Genesis chapter 17, that all nations would find, their, would find God's blessing through Abraham's family. But to become the blessing to the nation, Israel must first be faithful to their God. They must be faithful to their God. So what does, that, what does that look like? 
what does faithfulness really look like for the Israelites? And, and what does faithfulness, if we think about it, what does it look like for us? What does that look like for you and me? From what we learned in the book here. So let's look at some practical applications pretty quickly. So turn with me to, to one of the, the most common known passage in the book of Micah. is chapter 6, verse 6. If you can go there with me. Uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 6 says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with, with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly. To walk humbly with your God. So we see that Israel has been trying to appease God. They have been trying to appease God by bringing these sacrifices. But they do not realize that these sacrifices and the other, other religious rituals by themselves were not enough. The reality of the matter is that God, listen to this. The reality of the matter is that God does not bargain with sinners. And none of the sacrifices they offered to bring him could alone have cleansed them from their sin. The reality of the matter is that God wants to us, he wants us, he wants you, he wants me to live lives of obedience to him. Remember when the Lord rejected Saul, King Saul, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 22, uh, God rejects Saul. Listen to the exchange that happens between Saul and uh, Samuel. It says in verse, this is First uh, Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 to 23. It says, And Samuel said to King Saul, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey, listen to this, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than fat of rams, for rebellion is Rebellion is as the sin of divination and the presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. So why? So that's the reason why King Saul ultimately failed. So God is not impressed with our external forms of worship or any empty religious rituals like, like, like these sacrifices if it is not combined with genuine repentance, and, and if it is not combined with godly living, God really values genuine repentance, and God really values genuine godly living. My dear friends, God is not impressed with empty, hypocritical Worship that attempts to manipulate him so we can get what we want from him. We should worship him. We should glorify him because he is God. Verse 8 says, what does the Lord God require of you? What does the Lord God require of you? What does he require of you? So this 
verse speaks really, if you think about it, it speaks of the underlying attitudes that must accompany true worship. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. You know, the idea is that God seeks certain characteristics of his true worshipers. If we truly worship him, his people, the Israelites then and us now in his, as his worshipers, we are, to, we are to act justly. We are to love kindness and mercy. We are to walk humbly with our God. My dear friends, is, is humility important to you? My dear friends, what, what does that look like for us? Are we acting justly? Are we loving kindness and mercy? Are we walking humbly with our God? Are we doing that? So we must make much of the gospel in our lives. Yes, we must do that. But we must also be looking for opportunities for, for supporting the, the, the people that are needy and the vulnerable in our society, right? James chapter 1, verse 27 says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So as I close, let me say that these two acts, are, if you think about this, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with your God, ultimately, if you think about it, this does not really earn your salvation. It does not earn your salvation, but, but, but this is a result of your salvation. If we are truly saved by God, the reality of the matter is that these things become important to us now. We are so easily caught up in cultural wars on Facebook and on social media, uh, making much, even the word justice, as I read that word. You know, that has become like a political word, but this is a biblical word even here now. So, let me finish up by saying that this text also reminds us, if you look in the text there, that apart from God, we are nothing. Jesus says that, walk humbly with your God. With your God. So this reminds us that it is God who ultimately gives us strength. It is ultimately God who gives us the courage. It is ultimately God who gives us the ability to exercise any of these virtues. So if you think about it, if the Israelites had been really genuinely godly, if they had been doing godly justice, loving kindness, if they had been merciful and walking humbly with their God, then this book would not have been necessary. So, so may God help us. May God help us really uh, to do justice. May God help us to love kindness. May God help us to walk humbly with our God. But let me emphasize that if we're not trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior, the reality of the matter is that God in His mercy and grace has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and is fully man. And He, Jesus, lived a perfect life that you and I could not live. And He died on the cross at death that we deserve to die. And for those of us who turn away from their sins, and if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled to God. So this is the gospel. This is the good news. Ultimately, this is what brings us to God, putting our faith and our trust in God. May God help us. Amen.